0: Welcome to the Future Church Podcast, powered by Exponential, a podcast about innovative and emerging ideas in the North American church. With the need for the gospel in our generation, we must not look for a silver bullet approach. We believe there are many expressions to the local church, and we are seeking to discover and highlight new and effective ways that churches can impact our world with the gospel. For more information about Exponential's resources and upcoming events, visit exponential.org.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Future Church Podcast. I am Carrie Williams, Exponential Special Projects Director and the Founder and CEO of The Truth Republic. And We're so glad that you've joined us again today. And I am excited to have with us Patrick Holden from UVO Church, one of our projects that we had present at our Austin event. Patrick, welcome.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on the podcast.
1: So Patrick, you uh, are involved with the church plan that you started that is a little unique or a lot unique, but maybe not, not um, so far-fetched, especially in kind of our digital age that we're living in. And I just want you to explain what Nouveau Church is, where you guys are planting, and what makes this church plan a little unique and different.
0: Sure. Yeah, no. So me and my roommates from college all the way back when we were 19, 20 years old. I won't tell you how many years ago it was, but it was plus 10. Uh, we were we were in college dreaming about, you know, what it would be like to plant a church one day. Uh, we all had the opportunity to go and work at some incredible churches after college. Um, but this dream of creating a church for people who were specifically like deconstructing faith or um, had walked away from church or de-churched, people specifically who are agnostic, uh, we wanted to create a place for those people to come and experience uh, what it looks like to explore your doubts and questions and, and take a deep. Dive in that. Uh, so we say we're creating a safe place for people to explore and integrate faith, and uh, and so we moved uh, here in the middle of the pandemic uh, last year. I guess it was uh, in June. Uh, Eleven people from all over the country, from different parts of the country, moved here to plant a church, and uh, and we'd worked in some great churches, but obviously no one had planted a church in the middle of a pandemic. Um, we had been doing the fundraising thing. Um, But we were also, one thing that was unique about us is we, we had the opportunity to be a part of churches that allowed us to stay on staff for, you know, for me almost nine months from the time that I told them to the time that we moved. And so we really wanted to maximize that time. And so what we did is we were doing the you know typical pre-launch fundraising, all that. But um, we decided that we wanted to see if we could reach people in Columbus um, from different parts of the country uh, without living in the city. And uh, and so we I love that we were sitting around on a Zoom call brainstorming, and we we say that we took the best bad idea that we came up with, and that was to Facebook cold call people and see if they would just be willing to talk to us. And uh, and honestly, the the first probably half of our launch team, uh, we built that way. So,
1: yeah, and and I think uh, there were some unique elements in that uh, you guys utilized Zoom or digital digital platforms to build your team. You know, kind of your core team, launch team, and then the the Facebook cold call. So, tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how did you? How did you identify who you were going to cold call? What kind of conversations did you have with them? And what kind of results sure. did you see from that?
0: Yeah, no, that's great. So I'll tell you, we, we didn't know where to start at first. So we we, we went to like Facebook groups in Columbus and, and one of my favorite things is we were going, if somebody's engaged on that Facebook page, you know, people who are liking it or commenting it. We at least assumed that they were on Facebook relatively often. And so the first kind of, you know, batch of people that we messaged, um, we we would send people who were liking posts and we would just go through that list and and add them as a friend and then we would send them a message. Um, and we did that with probably several hundred people to get started. I mean, that was, that was kind of how we got off the ground. We committed to doing it for, I think it was like three weeks, you know, even if nobody ever responded, we would do it and uh, and then people started responding. In fact, we actually had a pretty high rate of people that were responding. and uh, and i'll I'll tell you, one of the guys on our team name is named Ryan Steigel. Everybody needs a smart friend. You know, i I have I'm lucky. I have two Zach and Ryan, two people that were with us. And they began to dream about how do we sort of systematize our conversation so that we could have the person uh, who is is talking to us uh, really be an expert in the field of our city and then coach us on how uh, on what we needed to know. And so what we would do is we would write them these messages on Facebook and essentially kind of adopt Donald Miller's story brand, where we would say, hey, you know, tell us about the city. We're brand new. They were in the hero seat. We're in the learner seat. And inevitably, you know, they would come back and and ask us what we were doing there, and if they were willing to take the call. They also, you know, probably checked out our Facebook page too, and so they knew that we were planning a church. And we saw, you know, it ranged, but at the peak, we we're probably seeing twenty-two to twenty-six percent of people respond back, take a Facebook or Face uh, FaceTime call with us, or a Zoom call. And uh, and we just started having those conversations, and so uh, we would—I kind of laugh now. We had a Google Doc that had all the questions we would ask for the introverts on the team, like me, you know. Um, and and we would move through those conversations, and people just became very interested in what we were doing that way. And, uh, and so to date, we've done several thousand of those uh, messages, and uh, and our end goal was: can we can we get a hundred people on a launch team? waiting on us and excited in a city before we ever arrived. And, uh, and that's what we were working towards for, for several months. So, yeah.
1: So tell us where you, where you're at in launch land, you know, what, what <laughs> phase you in and tell us, you know, update us now about where you're at after all of those code calls and, and what, sure. you know, what are the results right now?
0: Yeah. So I love, I love talking about this because we, um, I don't think we, th- we didn't think that it was gonna work. We thought it was just the best way to get movement in the beginning and it started to take shape. And it started to take shape in a way where we would, um, we send these messages, we had enough of a, a group of people that would do this where we actually took a trip to the city and would actually, we just lined up meetings for two days to meet with them in person. Mm-hmm. And then my very first meeting was a guy named Shay, who's a college student who is still on our launch team. And uh, I remember it was him and one other person. The other person was wildly uninterested the entire time. The, but Shay was, and I remember thinking, okay, it actually worked with one. If it works with one, it'll work with many. And uh, so Shay jumped on the launch team. We started doing uh, digital services, and uh, I love to tell people about this too because we <laughs> um, we filmed it in our tiny little cottage that we were staying in before we moved. It was you know 500, 600 square feet. Me and my wife, we would film it. We had one camera, and then I begged other churches to let us use their worship music, and they let us do it. So we would tack that on the end. So we would have great music, even if the message was terrible. You know, we had great music, and they would give them a shout-out or whatever. And and so we would. We, our, our strategy was, can we get people to come to the digital service and then move them to a weekly digital small group on Zoom? And that was our pathway for people. Um, and so we started building those things out And then the other thing we started doing um, Is we started doing what we call content offers um, Tony Morgan and his team really helped us Kind of see this Where especially during the election We would do a, you know, a set of videos that we put online But the way that you would access those videos Was by giving us your email address And we would market it not as a church thing But as a how do you survive an election I think that's what we called it How do you survive an And you'd give us your email And then it was like five very simple videos And then people would just kind of lean into that and uh, and so I love this. We would try to market it during the, um, we would market it during the debates. So if you're sitting there on your phone, on Facebook during the debate and you're frustrated, here I was showing up in your newsfeed talking about how you survived an election. Uh, and we did that with mental health. We did that with a few other things. And so we had these kind of digital streams moving us forward to our digital services and then our Zoom calls. And we were able to build a launch team of about 45 people uh, that were waiting on us on us in the city when we got here. So we had 45 people who had committed to giving and serving and um, and inviting people. So before we ever arrived to the city, and again, we moved in June. So once we got here, we were still on lockdown. I don't know what it was like where you were, but we were still in lockdown until, you know, September or October of last year. And, uh, and so that's kind of what we did. Now we've progressed kind of to doing more preview services. We're launching in September. So where we are now is roughly 80, 85 launch team members. Ah, uh, gearing up for launching in September, and now we're doing kind of physical gatherings and the digital thing as well. So it's
1: so great, and what a—I mean, I, I don't know if you pre-thought out in the midst of all of those dreaming phases back, you know, ten plus, like you said, with your college buddies. If you guys dreamt out, like, man, what if we did some digital things, you know, <laughs> or if it did the pandemic force you to think that way? What, or was it was yeah. it? A, and
0: what what did that look like? That's so funny. So you know what? we when we were in college, we were watching Live Church Two digital, and as embarrassing as this sounds, I, I remember thinking like, nobody's gonna watch that. You know what I mean? Like all the only thing I had context was maybe like a catalyst conference. like well, we could go to a catalyst conference sort of thing. how many people can we fit in one big building? And obviously, things have morphed and changed over time. I think we always assumed that we would be digital. Um, I think we were really inspired by people who could figure out how to do live um, services and digital services well, but speak to a digital audience in particular, which which isn't just putting up a sermon; it's talking to a, a screen a little bit different way. Um, and then I think with the cold calling thing, that was just out of necessity. Like I don't, I just don't think we th- we could we couldn't figure out a better option, and we stumbled into something that worked, and that you know in some ways will continue to work in the different areas that we want to I think go into in the city. Um but but I do think when it comes to the digital side of things, we've been asking the question how do you how do you reach a broad audience and then help them progress towards community, whether that's live or on the digital side? I think with church plans too, a lot of it becomes a margin question is how do I do digital and a physical like some guys are like i'm just trying to I'm just trying to put up a sound system on Sunday morning. how do I do that and write a talk and recruit a launch team um, But I think if you can systematize your processes, which we had to really work at uh, and to get really good at, there is a a way that you can do both. And then what I always tell people is communicators in the room, learning to to communicate online uh, is a different flex than doing it in person. And to do both at the same time is a completely different thing altogether. And so I tell people whether you're 55 years old and you've been at your church for 25 years or, you know, you're 20 something planning a church. The best thing you could do right now is really study uh, people who are YouTubers, people who are on TikTok. My favorite thing right now, I, I study guys on TikTok and it's embarrassing. They're all business guys and they'll be like a minute and a half long things. But how do you communicate that much information in a minute and a half in an interesting way? I think, I think we just have to be really great students of that. And so for us, you know, I, that's what I, I, I would tell church leaders all the time. That's kind of how you kind of progress towards doing those two things. Well, so, yeah.
1: So great. So talk to me a little bit. You said you have about 80 plus uh, launch members now and um, are, are they, were they primarily believers? You know, is it, what's that look like?
0: Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, uh, th- obviously, yeah. There's there's certainly quite a few people who are believers on the team, um, but there's also a staggering number of people who are agnostic, and I love that. We have people that give to our church that that don't agree with what I put on the screen um, on a Sunday when it comes to the Bible. Um, they they find it they find the space helpful to engage their questions of faith, and that's what we're trying to create. Um, in fact, we have people not just on our launch team. We have people that <laughs> I kind of laugh people who are putting you know. Slides up on the screen for me, uh, the Bible verses sometimes don't agree with the Bible verse, which I, I love. And so we really try to cultivate that kind of culture. Um, and uh, and I would say it's it's going well. Because we started with that, and that's the beginning point of the conversation, and because somebody can come and be a part of it uh, and see that it's a safe place, I think it's they, they've invited their friends. Our biggest inviters are people who are not followers of Jesus. Um, and, I, and I love that. So we actually have... A, <laughs> We have a couple now who's getting baptized in August. Who was a Facebook cold call, walked all the way through our processes, became a part of our launch team, leads guest services, comes to faith, and they're getting baptized in August. And I'm like, that pathway, it it is working. Hopefully, it works for a long time, but it is working right now. So,
1: yeah. Well, how exciting in the fact that you your official launch isn't till September. That's right. <laughs> you know, like how'd you do that? And so I, I think, yeah. um, you know, I I, I think when things kind of came to a to a staggering halt here, what mm-hmm. like eighteen months ago or so now, or nineteen months, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, you know, people who were in the middle of planting or are still in the middle of planting, sure. uh, or you know, had planted recently, you know, right. experienced right. all of the same challenges that you just expressed, and you guys managed to. Get really creative, and as you put it, stumble upon a really um, lucrative answer that that brought about the very people that you were trying to target. And so, um, that's pretty exciting. And tell me about the future. Like when you when you dream about what's to come, you know, after mm-hmm. September, right? So you're already seeing fruit and results, and and you know things happening with life change. Sure, so sure. talk to me sure, about sure. from September and beyond. What's the future look like? Do you want to do this? multiple times in the city? Do you want to, you know, what's it look like?
0: That's great. Yeah, no, that's, you know, I'm lucky that I get to be around people who are very strategic thinkers. I'm, I'm much more the visionary point to the hill and we should go tackle that. But again, Ryan, Zach, our team, our wives are all super strategic. And we dream about how do we replicate our church around the city, both in multifaceted sort of um venues and approaches and that sort of thing um and so we are and because we began there we've actually made decisions as if we're headed there so that's it's forced us to say no to things to say yes to things early on um that at times feel like you might be holding back but it's actually setting you up to move further faster a little bit later on um and so yeah we definitely would love to be able to plant more of these in the city i think um the approach, you know, the cold call thing has been interesting to us. Uh, we've actually done cold call stuff with other people on our team. We would throw these parties at our house. We would provide cheesecake. People show up for cheesecake. And then they would do cold calls, you know, with us. So we feel like we there's ways to do that that is, is helpful and can garner some, you know, excitement and influence in those parts of the city. The other thing that I would say, though, is, you know, because we stumbled across this, because we were passionate about the the, the, the local church and the global church, One thing that I love to encourage other pastors with and other church planning organizations is because of the way that you can reach people digitally, this is actually a type of model that allows you to see if a church planner can build critical mass before they ever go. You know, a lot of times we we give a whole lot of money up front in hopes that even a great planner can parachute into a city and garner momentum. Um, and sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. And sometimes that's not even the planter. Sometimes it's circumstance. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that. What I think this model has the potential to do is to help organizations and churches go, you know what, let's let's fund it and let's see, and then let's 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 kind of benchmark along the way how you're doing. Um, and then be able to progressively fund church plants as they move forward, Uh, which I think is, is a really healthy model. And even for church planners like me, as much as you are confident that something's gonna get off the ground and go, having a group of people of 40 or 50 or however many people you can gather beforehand waiting on you makes it so much easier and it actually, I think, is probably more proof to donors that there's something happening uh, in that place. So, uh, so I would say this. I think to anybody who's a lead pastor, who has a youth pastor on their staff, you know, who wants to plant a church and they know they want to plant a church, and that's happening. The greatest gift that I was personally given was a lead pastor named Steve Andrews at Kensington who said, you know what? Well, you have a job here. You can experiment over here. You continue to do your job well but you can stay on staff and let's see how it's going to go and you go ahead and start working on that project and it was a safe place. I think if, if lead pastors do that and then we approach progressive funding in the way where it's benchmarked sort of base, I mean, I, I really think we're going to have both a higher success rate and I think we're going to have a lot more clarity um, on the planners that we're sending out. But that's just me. I'm also biased because, you know, Facebook, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, and I mean, it worked, right? And so uh, let me ask this question. What's the age range of, of, oh. of people that you were able to, you know, build into this launch team? What, what kind of ages are we looking at?
0: I love this because uh, I didn't expect it. I think we thought we would just attract everybody that was like us, who was in, you know, we we're in our 30s and had two kids and one on the way. Yeah, we, it was funny. In the beginning, we attracted early 20s. And then uh, empty nesters, and then people that were like us were watching from a distance anonymously. So we could see the stats on Facebook, but they weren't necessarily identifying themselves. Um, you also probably know this. Empty nesters in early 20s were the first people to come out with the pandemic. Like, but young families actually stayed back for the most part. And so we, when we actually started doing in-person things... It was, there was a massive age gap in between. And now as the vaccines come out, now we're naturally attracting the people in the middle. But what was great is we had the energy of 20 somethings, the, uh, you know, sort of maturity, financial backing of empty nesters. And now young families are starting to come. And we were really prepared for the young families as they've come. So now the young families is kind of our fastest growth rate, but our age range spans from 19, 20 year olds you know, I would say we have a group of people in their 50s and 60s, and our oldest person is in their 80s. And I love that, and they're all on Facebook. So it was great.
1: That's so great. Um, so it, let me ask this. What would you say is one thing that you're really learning along this journey? Um, you know, what's, what's one big aha kind of, kind of moment that you're having?
0: One big uh, yeah, aha, that's a great question. <clears throat> I think people. I think I undersell um, how people want to be anonymous. I don't think that that's necessarily true anymore. I think my biggest hesitancy was reaching out to people randomly on Facebook was that I personally would probably never answer a message like that, or there would be a whole you know swath of people who would be offended. I don't think we saw that as much. I'm sure there was a small percentage. We saw people who wanted to self-identify and be helpful. I think one of the things that we're trying to wrestle through is I think people want to be helpful and I think people want to have a very clear um, sort of space to figure out their purpose and their questions. And so a lot of our discipleship strategy will be focused on how do we help a person be helpful to others and then how do we help a person wrestle down kind of their deeper questions of faith. I think that's been a really big learning for us it's elementary in some ways, but it kind of goes slightly against the, and then we just watched a video thing in a small group and did that. I think people want really deep community. I think they want to save community. And then I think they want to actually contribute to be helpful to other people. And I think that was kind of the the spark that started all of this kind of, you know, stuff that we're doing. Um, I know you asked for one, I'm I'm gonna give you one more and you can edit this out in the post if that's not helpful. I would say for communicators, again, that's what I'm passionate about. Um, I tell people all the time, I love Hasan the Patriot Act. I don't necessarily recommend you watch it for the language or the political views or anything like that. But there's a way of communicating that's very visually engaging and powerful and being able to speak to both the live room and um, and the people that are watching you online. And there's a systematic way to do that. I would just say for every communicator, the temptation is a pandemic kind of, you know, is, is slowing in some ways is to go back to what we've always done. Uh, I would say we've got to be great students of, of great communicators that do it in different ways than we do. So
1: yeah. it's a great challenge for all of us, for sure. Um, and thinking of challenges, what what would you say is your biggest one right now? What's your biggest challenge in this plant? And as you head towards September, what's your biggest, your biggest mountain, your biggest hurdle, your biggest challenge? What's it look like? Yep.
0: I think, uh, I think the biggest challenge is learning to speak the language of a generation that's uh, coming behind us. I I think it's changing so fast. I think it's, um, I think there's a temptation to want to appear cool or whatever that is, which is all good. Again, we have moving lights. We have an LED It's not a not cool thing, but the language and the needs are continually shifting. And I think one of the challenges, how do we become really great students of what the needs are of people coming out of, you know, a massive thing in history that we're trying to navigate and then nobody was really an expert on yet. And so I think for me, what I'm trying to do personally is just gather those people in a room and have them coach me on what they, what they need and the way that I can phrase things. I think that's true of every demographic, but I would say for people that are in high school right now, there will be 20-somethings in the next five years, you know, 10 years. Um, they're, they've processed this in a different way than even I have as a 30-something, and it's a unique it's a unique thing to sort of study and learn. And I don't know, it's just, and this is probably terrible to say out loud, there's a lot of people who will say they're experts on it. The only expert on it for real are people that are in that age group. And so I just I would I would challenge everybody, how do we become extraordinary students of their needs and their language? And I think that's what we're trying to trying to figure out. It's
1: so. good. All right. So, my last question, I think, maybe <laughs> um, is what would you say y- you've addressed, you know, church planners, leaders, communicators a few times now? And so, what would you, you know, as just kind of one final, hey, here's what I say about this um, to people who are dreaming of planting or having challenges with planting, you know, what what kind of encouragement and advice would you give them? Yeah,
0: that's a great question. I, I'll tell you. Um, well. When we were we uh, we had a few months before we moved to Columbus, and we were living in a tiny cottage. And it was right as the pandemic was hitting. I'm sure every church planner faces this, every pastor faces this. I remember sitting on the the edge of the bed. My son was sleeping. It was in his bed, so I was, I was sitting on the edge of his bed. And my uh, uh, my wife just could tell that I was discouraged. I think you know, just kind of discouraged. And I remember looking at her essentially, and uh, and saying, you know what, like I. I, did we make a mistake by by doing this now? And my wife's much wiser than me. I mean, she really is. And she said, if God called us to plant this church, um, I believe that He called us to plant in this season. And I would say there's a part of that that's true for planters. You know, there's a there's an em, embracing the change of culture shifting and pandemic and people coming back and all that. I think it's true of pastors, too. I, mean, I, would, I would encourage pastors to say, you, God knew that you'd be a pastor in 2021 and 2020, as, as difficult as it can be. Uh, I think there's a part of going, God called you to do what he called you to do, but he likely called you to do it when he called you to do it. And so for us, I think we just get to lean into the uncertainty, which is why we're leaders in the first place. And, uh, and then trust in him and be incredible students of it. And I would say if you're discouraged, lean into that call of both the specific work and the timing of it. Um, and then we get to be great students and uh, and very dependent at the same time. So that's what I would say.
1: Amen on the dependency. <laughs> that was a good word. Thank you for sharing that. And I lied. I do have one more question. So great. Yeah. when you guys started your, your cold calls on Facebook? Sure. Or any of you consider, would, would consider yourself an expert in, you know, digital communications or Facebook Facebook even, um, you know, did, did you have some folks on the team that like this was what they, this was their thing or was it just, hey, let's give this a try and we'll figure it out. I've heard you mention, you know, being a great student along the way, which I really love and I value personally. And so, um, you know, did it? Did you have any experts?
0: Um, <laughs> I, no, no. I would say definitely not. Now I have a guy on our team named Zach that I should call out and say he's a brilliant communications mind in general and a very creative person, but also doesn't enjoy Facebook. So he's he posts once or twice a year. I would I would say you know what I mean, um, and they are of his kids. You know, so it's, so no. I would none of us were. Facebook ad marketing people. In fact, we just really ran our first ad campaign last week, and we we had to figure out how to set it up. So, uh, you know, we're brand new to that world. Um, So definitely not, and it was definitely trial and error. And I think what was great for us, it was consistent evaluation of both people's response. We tweaked that letter over and over again, and then we brought in people to help us figure out how to word it. My favorite thing to tell people, I love this, a friend of mine named Clark Campbell who works with StoryBrand he said if you'll add an emoji in the first sentence more people will respond and we saw like an eight percent increase i don't use emojis i just don't maybe with my son but like you know i'm not texting other guys a heart like that just doesn't happen uh, and so and so we did and so i think some of it is just constant evaluation bringing in other people but we certainly weren't experts and we were learning along the way and still are we, we still are trying to learn along the way
1: Great. So I think that's encouraging for people listening who are like, I don't know anything about how to do any of that. And so here's to say, like, well, you know, a little bit now after listening to this podcast. And I would say that if Patrick and Nouveau Church can do it, that you can do it too, regardless of your Facebook experience. Um, So Patrick, it's been really great talking to you and about, you know, just how you turn something that seemed like a huge challenge with the pandemic into something that actually is extremely fruitful and could be a new model for the future of the church. And so if people want to learn a little bit more about you guys or connect with you, what's the best way that they can do that?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, um so I'll say I love this that you were talking about. Anybody can do it. I we put up everything that we have online. So we approach it as like open source. Every script that we send out, uh, the software we use, which is free, everything. So if you go to nuvochurch.org/slash/pastors, so Church, so n-u-v-o church.org/slash/pastors. All of those resources are there. Take it, steal it, put your logo on it, make it better, and then you go speak to the next Austin thing. You know, that'd be great. and I'll come with it. So do that, nuvochurch.org slash pastors. Nuvochurch.org is our website. Um, I think Nuvo Church is all of our socials. My name's Patrick Holden. I'm pretty sure you could just, that's on Facebook. Uh, my cell phone number is on there as well. Hit me up on that. My cell phone number would love to talk to you and help you in any way I can. So.
1: Fantastic. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us today on the Future Church podcast. And thanks for sharing about what you guys are doing.
0: Hey, thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate it.